It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Hearing the word you have cancer is a major fear for most people. A cancer diagnosis is shocking and scary. Today's guest, Dr. Dominic Brandy, heard those words when he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. He joins us today to talk about his healing journey and how we can learn to prevent, survive, and even thrive with cancer. Dr. Brandy is a medical doctor, author, speaker, and cancer coach who has been practicing medicine for over 40 years. He's the founder of Natural Insights into Cancer and author of the book, Beat Back Cancer Naturally. Welcome, Dr. Brandy. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. So, Doctor, as I said in the introduction, hearing the words you have cancer is a major fear for most people. While I've not personally been diagnosed with cancer, my brother, sister, and father all died from it. So I understand what that diagnosis can mean. So let's begin by talking about your journey. What was going on in your life that led to a cancer diagnosis? Well, my background is I am a uh, plastic surgeon. I, I had a very successful uh, plastic surgery slash med spa slash anti-aging center. And because I had an anti-aging center for over 30 years, I've always been interested in, in health and nutrition. Um, five and a half years ago, I got diagnosed with an incurable blood cancer called multiple myeloma. The type that I got diagnosed with is the most aggressive form. It's an IgA. And for your listeners that don't know what multiple myeloma is, uh, it's a cancer of the plasma cells. They're the cells that make your antibodies. And there's three basic types, IgA, IgM, IgG. Uh, IgA, which is the type that I got diagnosed with, is the most aggressive. And what's interesting about my whole story is uh, Two months before I got diagnosed, I actually was on a cruise with my wife, and I, I've read well over 300 books on health and nutrition. I came across a book called How Not to Die by Michael Greger. I don't know if you've ever read it, but if, but if you get the hardback, it's literally about two inches thick, and about an inch of it are scientific references. And, and that's what really intrigued me about this book. There really weren't any anecdotal uh, stories. It was really very evidence-based. And, and what the science was showing over and over again is that cultures and research cohort groups that ate more plant-based had a much lower incidence of cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, really all-cause mortality. And then he kind of got into the blue zones. Um, you know, for your listeners that aren't familiar with the blue zones, uh, National Geographic did a search with Dan Buettner to find the five areas of the world where people live the longest. And they ended up being in Icaria, Greece, Sardinia, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Okinawa, Japan, and then right here in the United States, Loma Linda, where a lot of seven-day Adventists live, 
Most of them are vegans because of their uh, religious beliefs. They don't drink alcohol. They exercise a lot. They have good social uh, connections. But in Loma Linda, and that's the one I always like to use uh, because it is in the United States. Some people will say, well, and I carry a Greece. That's a different culture. Or maybe in the Koya, maybe it's their genetics. But Loma Linda is right in the United States. And the average woman lives about 10 years longer than their American counterparts. And men live about 14 years longer. And what's interesting about Loma Linda, right across the river is San Bernardino. And a lot of the doctors that worked at Loma Linda actually go over to San Bernardino into the clinics. And that is one of the most unhealthy areas in the world. <laughs> I mean, they eat a lot of meat, dairy, junk food. They have a lot of cardiovascular disease, cancer. So, so these blue zones in general, when you look at their diets, they all eat about 90 to 95% plant-based. They do eat meat here and there. It's usually the size of a deck of cards. They might have it once a week, but it's not the mainstay of their diet. And they certainly aren't eating these ultra-processed foods that everybody's eating in the United States. That's about 60 to 65% of the American diet, which is one of the most unhealthy diets that you could possibly eat. Just as a, a sidebar for our listeners, Dr. Greger and Dan Butner, they've been on this show a number of times. So you can search both of those shows to learn more about what Dr. Brandy was just talking about. Um, but going back to you, doctor, when you got this diagnosis, you know, in hindsight, I remember when my brother was diagnosed with leukemia, my mom always said, looking back, he was really tired that summer. There were things we missed. Looking at your life now as a you know Monday morning quarterback, are you able to see signs that you may have been sick and, and just didn't see it? I mean, not really. I think my I think my lifestyle was very very stressful. Um, I I sold my practice about three and a half years ago. We had over a hundred employees. A venture capital group came in. So there was a lot of stress. There was surgery. There were med spa employees or anti-aging employees. So I was living a very high-stress life. I mean, when you're doing surgery, you're waking up 4 in the morning. If you go to bed at 10, and let's say you wake up at 2 and you can't get to sleep for some reason, then you start worrying, oh, I got a whole day of surgery. Am I going to be able to get through it? You know, that night I might have gotten maybe 15 minutes of deep sleep, which is the most important sleep for tumor surveillance. And DNA repair, mm -hmm. and then you're then you're in surgery, and then you know if if a patient gets a complication, then you're worried about getting a lawsuit. So that's a it's a very very high stress job. Number one, and and I'm just think when you're working on somebody's face, um, I mean they're looking in a mirror every morning. So if there's anything that's even a little bit off, they're going to be complaining. So um, so that's another aspect of of making that a stressful job. But I was. As far as my diet, I was eating meat every single meal because I believed that whole thing about meat equals protein. And that is one of the biggest myths that I really learned when I read Dr. Greger's book. And what's really interesting about my story, when I was on that cruise and I read that book, two days into that cruise, I actually started eating whole food plant-based. Uh, my wife thought I was out of my mind because there's all this meat and dairy and eggs and desserts and you know she's saying you are crazy um but i i haven't i haven't had any animal products since september of 2017 so i came home and i was doing a surgery and my collarbone just like i just felt a little crack and then it just kept getting worse and worse 
And then two months later, it was starting to keep me up at night. And about 10 days after that, it was like November 10th, 2017. We were watching TV. I accidentally knocked over a container of water. My bone just cracked right in half. Uh, we went to the urgent care center. It was totally displaced. Friend of mine who's an orthopedic doctor, he ordered an MRI. Five days later, he called me. He goes, Nick, that's my nickname. He said, I hate to tell you, but you got a tumor in there. He said, it's either multiple myeloma or a metastasis. And you can just imagine my whole world was totally rocked. Here I had this incredibly successful practice. I was 64 years old at that time. Um, I'm just, I just felt like I was going to keep doing surgery until I was 80, whatever. And, um, and your world is rocked. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I probably didn't sleep well for two months. Uh, we all know we're going to die, but when you're with that diagnosis, all of a sudden it's, it's right in front of your face. And you really have to start really looking at your spiritual priorities, your family priorities, uh, you know, financial, you really have to really take a good look at your life. And one thing I did, and I really recommend all my patients that I coach to do, is to see a psychologist when you first get diagnosed. Uh, that was probably one of the best things I could do because she really helped me sort out a lot of the fears that I had. Um, I, I think one of the biggest fears when you are diagnosed with cancer is, you know, what am I going to have to go through to die? You know, we all know we're going to die, but, you know, how much pain am I going to have? I mean, is it, is it going to be like horrible for them? You know, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you and, think uh, it was worse for you, doctor, because you're a doctor and, and you know more than the average person? Yeah, Probably. You know, because I was, you know, from that point, I was doing a deep dive into the scientific literature. Like, I wanted to learn every single thing that I could do, from herbs to different lifestyle changes. And that's basically how I got to the point to write my book, because I was just gathering all this information. But one of the things the, uh, on, on the, this cancer psychologist told me that really made me feel good, she said, listen, by the time people get to, like, about three months from being dead, she said, she said 95% of them are complete peace with it. I mean, they're not, they don't seem to be depressed. They seem to be, you know, they've just accepted it. Uh, she said 5% go down kicking. You know, they're going to Mexico and, you know, they're miserable. But she said 95% are happy and they're, they just realize, hey, this is part of life and, you know, we live and we die. And, um, and that really gave me a layman. And then I was also worried about pain. And I knew as a physician that there were a lot of things that you could do. But she being a specialist in cancer psychology, I mean, she was seeing a lot of this firsthand. She said, hey, when you get to that point, I mean, they will make you comfortable. You know, uh, you know like you'll die in peace. Sometimes I, I just imagine how these people 100 years, 200 years ago died with cancer. It had to be, it had to be the most horrific death. I, I just can't even imagine what those people went through. Yeah. Uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. It just had to be really probably even like 50 years ago. It was probably horrific. What was your proposed treatment? What did they want to do and what did you end up doing? Well, what happened was because I had this IgA, so this was this was two months after I started eating whole food plant-based. My oncologist wanted to put me on a very aggressive regimen of two oral medications and then a drug called Valcade, which is a proteasome inhibitor. And the more I was reading about this Valcade, almost everybody gets a pretty severe peripheral neuropathy, which means the nerve endings in your fingertips and your toes start deteriorating. 
and the fact that I was a surgeon, I really didn't know what my future was. Um, I, I didn't want to risk that. And I had already been eating whole food plant-based for two months and I was a hundred percent sure that was going to help me. So my oncologist uh, and I, we got into an argument. He said, man, you're just no way you're going to get into a complete remission just like doing these two oral medications. But I, I stuck to my guns. And so we just went ahead with the two oral medications. At this point, I'm doing a deep dive into the scientific literature. I'm adding all these different supplements. Uh, I'm learning how to exercise every day, try to get better sleep, keep my stress down, try to eliminate toxins. So every month, my numbers just kept getting in better. And by the sixth month, I was in a complete remission. And my oncologist was totally blown away. Number one, he didn't even think I was going to get into a complete remission, but to do it in six months, he was just like totally knocked off of his feet. So, so I just, I've stayed in a complete remission um, five and a half years now. And if you go in, there was recently an article in leukemia uh, journal and the average person that has myeloma, they relapse by about two years is kind of the average. And I'm already at 5.5 years. And I, I plan on keep going. In fact, right now they're actually trying to wean down uh, the two oral medications I'm on because myeloma is incurable. So what I have is called a functional remission, which means that it's in a remission, but it's in a remission because I take these two oral medications. But we're actually weaning those right now. So far, all my numbers are holding. So mm-hmm. hopefully I'll be the first person ever cured myeloma. So we'll see. Well, do any of your doctors ever ask you what you're doing? And I asked that question a, a few years ago. I, I interviewed Dr. Kelly Turner, who wrote a book called Radical Remission. And in it, she talked about end-stage cancer patients who were told to go home and get your affairs in order because there's nothing more we can do. And those people ended up changing everything about their lives. Some of them moved out of their homes. They got out of relationships. I mean, they changed everything, and they're still alive. And I had at, I remember asking her, like, did any of their oncologists say, what did you do because I want to tell other people to do it? Has anyone ever asked you? No, in fact, I, I was about a year from the time I started my treatment, and I decided to organize a lecture at one of the local hotels. And I got about 125 people come. I was kind of, I thought I was going to get 50. We're pulling chairs in from the restaurant. And, uh, and I would say probably 75% of the people out there were cancer patients. And when I finished that lecture, I had a standing ovation. And I've never had a standing ovation for anything. I mean, I don't think the lecture was that great. Maybe they were feeling sorry for me. I don't know. But I think the reason they gave me a standing ovation, I think those people just felt they were at the mercy of the, the surgery, the chemo, the radiation, and there wasn't anything they could do. In fact, after I gave that lecture, there were so many cancer patients that came up to me. In fact, one of them sticks out on my head she had what I have. She had multiple myeloma. And this lady was definitely overweight. I I would even say she was obese. And she asked her oncologist, she said, hey, should I change anything with my diet and lifestyle? Mm -hmm. He goes, oh, no, just keep doing what you're doing. It's crazy. And she looked at me in the eye. She goes, you know what, doctor? She goes, I I, I knew that couldn't be right. Like, how could that be right that I should just keep doing what I was doing before? And, And this is a common theme that you will hear. In fact, I asked my oncologist one time, you know, the National Cancer Institute recommends nine servings of fruits and vegetables for the prevention of cancer. Um, and I asked him, I said, do you, like, do you even tell your patients to try to eat nine servings of fruits and vegetables while they're going through treatment? He said, no. I said, why not? I said, they should probably be eating like double that, 18 servings of fruits and vegetables if you're trying to get rid of cancer. But these guys just, I don't know. It, I, a lot of it has to do with training because 
I will tell you, in medical school, we probably got about 10 hours of nutrition training, and it was honestly like a, a junior high school health class. It was like, if you don't eat enough vitamin C, you get scurvy. If you don't eat enough vitamin D, you get rickets. I mean, stuff that just doesn't happen anymore. Even, you know, even Fruit Loops is probably fortified with vitamin C. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, we just don't hear about those anymore. So I think doctors just feel very deficient in their knowledge, so they just totally stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can someone, like, doctor with cancer, do then? I mean, I'm lucky enough to interview people like you. I understand this, and, and you know it. But how can the average person heal and, and, and really avoid cancer or any other disease? Well, I mean, obviously, people come to me. I do all my consults virtually, and then I follow them up. I have like a 24-7 uh, they have access to me. I get about 100 text messages every day from patients. You know, one encouragement or they read an article or they're asking me about a supplement and so forth. But one of the things I stress, and when I first got diagnosed, I read an article in the prestigious journal Nature, and it was written by Nikhil Munchke, who's a famous genomic cancer researcher. And he said, by the time you are diagnosed with cancer, you have about 5,000 DNA mutations in that cancer cell. And by the time you relapse, you're at about 12,000. And, and probably a lot of those DNA mutations are from the treatment themselves, from the chemotherapy and so forth. So one of the things I strongly recommend anybody that I'm counseling is try to eat whole food plant-based if you can. Uh, plants have 63 times the antioxidant power compared to animal products. And what you have to do is try to eliminate as many free radicals as you can. And for your listeners that don't know what a free radical is, uh, you know, these are produced primarily from the mitochondria in your cells. That's your energy production cells. We have about 40 to 100 quadrillion of them in our bodies. And about 90, 97% of what they do is very efficient. The 3% actually release these molecules that have unpaired electrons. They call them free radicals. And if you remember from your chemistry class, the molecules don't like to have unpaired electrons, so they look for an electron somewhere. And in the process, they damage cellular membranes, uh, DNA, uh, proteins, enzymes. And it's really this DNA damage that's really, really important. So the more antioxidants that you intake, the more they contribute an electron to that free radical and stop this deadly activity. Um, so we do have three innate antioxidants in all of our cells, uh, catalase, superoxide, uh, dismutase, and glutathione peroxidase. And, and they can keep most of this free radical activity under control, but we can overload the system very easily. Like if you're a smoker, for example, I mean, you are totally overloading the system all day. I, I read an article one time, one puff of a cigarette creates eight hours of free radical activity. Um, you know, when you're exposed to too much ultraviolet, uh, radiation, if you're eating a lot of high fat saturated foods, um, you know, pollution, uh, you know, different toxins that we're exposed to in our food, you know, all these things create free radicals. So we really have to try to eliminate those that when you're eating a high antioxidant diet, like, with, like a, a whole food plant-based diet, I mean, you have plenty of antioxidants that are going to help keep a lot of that free radical activity under control. So that's one of the things that I really strongly urge my, uh, my patients to do. And if they can't go whole food plant-based, at least go plant-strong, plant-predominant. You know, 
Um, you know, I try to break them into it easily. Um, you know, one little trick that I tell them to do is pick five recipes that you love that don't have any meat or dairy in them and just eat that for like 21 days. And you'll see that you'll start even feeling better doing that. And then in the interim, I send them like a ton of cookbooks, websites where they can learn amazing recipes and then kind of start incorporating those uh, into their lifestyle. Doctor, there's a lot of research now that shows the connection between the way we think and our ability to heal. So you say that we're able to thrive through cancer, but, you know, when someone hears those words, you have cancer, fear takes over and we have a hard time staying positive. So why do you say that it is possible for us to thrive with cancer? What does that mean? One of the things, if you look at the five precepts in my book, it's, it's a plant-based diet, targeted supplements. And I personally take over 30 herbal supplements. And that doesn't mean all my patients. I would say my average patient probably takes 10. When I do a consult, uh, I send them a list of all the supplements that I recommend. I put four asterisks next to the ones that are the most important, three less important, two, and then one. So I do think targeted supplements are important, but exercise, stress reduction, and sleep are kind of the three lifestyle changes. And I would say of those three, exercise is by far the most important. I call that the kingpin. You really have to get in the habit of doing that every single day because that does so many things. First off, I'm sure all of us have been super stressed out. We went out for like a walk in the woods or we ran or we you know, played tennis or whatever, and we felt 100% better. We felt more relaxed. So exercise is extremely important. And then when we exercise on a, on a daily basis, we sleep better. And sleep is extremely important because that's when a lot of your, when you're in deep sleep, that's when a lot of your DNA repair is going on, tumor surveillance. There's something called autophagy where your body's like cleaning up a lot of the misfolded proteins and kind of reorganizing them or just getting rid of them. So there's a lot of cleanup going on. You know, you're not exerting your energy and digestion uh, and so forth um, and, you know, running and exercising. You're just sleeping. And that's really when a lot of that repair is going on. And I go, I go through in my book a lot of different ways that you can help your sleep. In fact, one of the things I recently bought was an OA ring, which really has helped me. These things are amazing. Uh, you put them on your finger, and um, through the night, it actually analyzes your sleep. You know, how much REM sleep you're getting, how much deep, how much light. And I've already made some adjustments that I've been able to get myself more into deep sleep because that's really when a lot of that DNA repair and tumor surveillance goes on. Like I was taking my supplements like right before I went to bed, and that's not good. I would, now I take them a lot earlier, and I noticed my deep sleep went up. So that's a good way to help with the sleep. Mm-hmm. But, um, but with exercise, it, it just it is really the kingpin. And not only does it help you with stress reduction and sleep, it has amazing tumor-fighting activity. In my book, I have one study that showed that even doing just six minutes of exercise actually jacks up your natural killer cell activity by about 50%. And natural killer cells are the cells that kill cancer cells. And there's a really other good study that I had in my book that was actually mind-blowing. It was breast cancer patients. Those that just briskly walked for 30 minutes per day, they lowered their chance of relapse by 24%. Those that jogged two-thirds of a mile per day lowered their relapse rate by 40%. 
And those that jog 2.3 miles per day lowered their chance of relapse by 95%, which is totally mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think drugs can do that, to be quite frank with you. But, um, but exercise, not only does it jack up your immune system, but it makes your innate antioxidants. Remember we talked about catalase, superoxide, dismutase, glutathione, peroxidase. They make them much more efficient. They make you more insulin sensitive. And this is extremely important. That's why I also, also recommend my patients to try to do some kind of resistance exercise, either with light weights or bands. Because when you hit about 40, I mean, you'll lose about 1% of your muscle mass per year if you're not doing some kind of uh, resistance training. And that is so important for really all of us for the prevention of diabetes. But if you have cancer, you do not want to become insulin resistant because the insulin cannot push the sugar into the cell because of the insulin resistance. There's a, there's a, and a lot of it has to do with saturated fat accumulation in the muscle. That's the other reason I really try to get my patients to lower their saturated fat intake. And they automatically do that when they eat plant-based. I mean, it just automatically happens. But when your muscle is atrophying, the glucose can't get into the cell. The glucose starts increasing. For those of you that don't know, cancer needs a ton of sugar just to be able to survive. Cancer cells work by like an anaerobic process. So one glucose sugar molecule can only produce two ATP energy molecules, whereby our normal cells that use an aerobic type metabolism, one glucose molecule can form like 18 times the amount. So these cancer cells need a ton of sugar just to be able to keep themselves going. So one thing I always have my patients do is, you know, make sure you're doing the resistance training. Also, Stay away from refined carbs. Uh, I eat a lot of, uh, my, my diet's about 80% complex carbs. I mean, I love carbs. And um, in all the blue zone areas, they eat about 80% carbs. But they're complex carbs. My wife and I were talking about this other, the other day. They said they really need to have a different word for refined carbs and complex carbs. Because everybody throws them in together, and it really confuses people. Um, but the other thing that happens, as your blood sugar is rising, your insulin levels are rising. And insulin is a very powerful growth stimulator of cancer. You do not want high insulin levels when you have cancer because it it is a very powerful growth stimulator. The book is Beat Back Cancer Naturally, Five Scientifically Proven Natural and Plant-Based Ways to Prevent, Survive, and Thrive with Cancer. Doctor, if our listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they go? Well, if they go to my website, uh, Natural Insights, into cancer.com. I have tons of videos that I've made. I have a lot of blogs. Pay attention to the ones. I did a couple lectures on the synergy of these phytochemicals in plant foods. I mean, there's over 5 million phytochemicals in plant foods that fight cancer, and they work synergistically. Make sure you take a look at those. And then also my Instagram site is cancerveggiedoc. I do a post every single day on that. So that's another area where people can DM me or get a lot of good information. What's really exciting about your work, especially for people like me who have cancer in our family, and you know, we were always told that if it's there, it's almost like the roadmap of what your future will be. But what you're teaching us is that we have more power than we realize. And so I'm very happy that you were here with us. Hey, just do what the National Cancer Institute says. Eat nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day. The average American eats 1.8 servings of fruits and vegetables per, to that per day. And that's counting French fries, 
and ketchup as a vegetable, believe it or not. So we're, we're, our diet is like really bad. I think that's why cancer is on the rise. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Hi, it's Linda from Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Imagine yourself remaining calm, clear-headed, stress-free, and positive, even in the midst of life's greatest challenges. Good news, there's a proven process to help you do just that. And I'm living proof. Go to lindamitchellhealing.com to take a free assessment and learn the top ways you sabotage your success and happiness and how to finally break away from those old patterns. Let's talk after your free assessment at lindamitchellhealing.com. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan, this is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. According to a recent report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office, 48% of Americans age 55 and older have no money in either an IRA or 401k style account, and 29% have no pension or retirement savings accounts. Financial security in retirement requires that you will be able to live off your savings, investments, and Social Security benefits. But how many Americans are concerned that these retirement assets will not sufficiently cover their living expenses? And how can they bridge this retirement savings gap? Joining me today to discuss this growing problem and to offer actionable advice is award-winning personal finance journalist Jean Chatsky. Jean is a financial editor of NBC's Today Show and host of the podcast Her Money. Her new book is Women with Money. Welcome, Jean. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Jean, let's start off by talking about this report. What did the report find regarding the retirement savings gap? So the folks at AARP conducted a survey and found about 60% of people believe they have a retirement savings gap. And just to define that, 
It basically means that when you combine your Social Security with your investments and your savings, you're not going to have enough to sustain the life that you want to live in retirement. More women feel that they've got a gap than men, but either way you look at it, it's a very large number, and it means we need to take some steps to start closing that gap. So people recognize the fact that they had a gap. Were they concerned about this? Oh, completely concerned. Um, about half of all men are very worried about this, and, and significantly more women. Jean, why do you believe so many people are not financially prepared for retirement? Well, if you ask them, they'll tell you that they just don't have enough money to save based on the money they earn, that unexpected expenses crop up and get in their way. But if you look historically at what's been going on, you know, over the last 25 years, we've transitioned from a system where many, many people had pensions to a system where we've got 401ks, we've got IRAs. We are responsible for saving for and investing for retirement ourselves. And with the number of people now who the growing number of people who are working for themselves who are freelancing a lot of people don't have those work-based retirement plans so they're at a loss to get started it's important to understand how much of the responsibility to do this is on us so because we are responsible for our own financial health what do you believe are some of the biggest mistakes we may make along the way again we say the biggest mistakes that we make according to this research is not starting soon enough. But that doesn't mean that you should not start at all. The the best day to start is today, and the way to do it is with automatic contributions into a retirement savings account. If you've got a 401k at work and you're not maxing out, you want to get yourself to the point where you are maxing out. If you don't have a 401k, then you want to open an IRA or a Roth IRA or a SEP IRA and start funding it every single month with automatic contributions because if you pay yourself first in this way, you're not going to spend that money and it will have an opportunity to grow for your retirement. And I think a lot of it is a mindset as well. I'm the product of depression babies and my parents had a very different philosophy about money and saving. Do you think a lot of this is also because so many live outside of their means? Absolutely. I think we have gotten to the point where Spending money is way too easy to do. And all of the technological innovations, Venmo, credit, debit, Amazon, and one-click ordering, they've all made it very, very easy to spend. My philosophy has always been save first. You know, make sure that you're checking off that box, that you've got emergency savings, that you've got long-term savings. And then whatever's left, you can choose how to allocate that for your wants and for your needs. I think I'm a dinosaur gene because I actually like the feel of money in my hands. I like to know what's going in and going out. And and as you said, when it's also digital, it's just too easy to let it go out. It it is. And there's a lot of research on this that shows that we spend much more quickly with credit and with debit and with Venmo than we do with cash. So if as adults, we're having our own issues financially, what then should we be doing to get our kids ready, to get them better prepared? Well, we should be having our kids save 10 to 15% of what it, whatever it is they're bringing in. 
Um, from the time that they're young until the time that they grow up, my, my kids are just out of college and, and they know this is what they have to do from the start of their working career all the way to the end of it. But it's also not too late to help ourselves. We've got some great tools at AARP. If you go to aceyourretirement.org, you will find a tool that will ask you a few very easy questions to answer and then give you a personalized plan to close your own retirement savings gap. You can also get a handle on your Social Security claiming strategy, which is very important for pretty much everybody by going to aarp.org slash social security. And I've got a new podcast that I developed with AARP where we took some real women and matched them with financial advisors to help them close their personal savings gaps. And you can find that at aarp.org slash closing the gap. Jean, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing this advice. I mean, retirement really can be the best time of our life with just a little bit of planning. So thank you. My pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Did you know that Reiki can help lessen stress, depression, and anxiety? I know you're aware that Reiki is now being used in hospitals as a complement to medicine. And it's because of its relaxing effects that Reiki has helped many overcome their health concerns. It was founded by a Buddhist monk named Mikao Yusui of Japan in the early 1920s, and his goal was to help heal broken people. Reiki comes from a universal life force energy which radiates pure love, and this energy is then transferred through the Reiki practitioner's hands to the client. Reiki is considered a form of energy medicine which addresses the entire energy body called the chakras, which correlates to every system within our bodies from our pineal gland all the way down to our adrenals and spinal cord. So why not consider the many benefits of Reiki and how it can help impact the health of your body, mind, and spirit? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified angelic crystal Reiki and magnified healing master teacher. For more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. Sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Doreen Steenland, an ICF certified coach who uses neuroscience and coaching to harness the power of our brains. As a transformational neuro coach, Doreen changes brains one thought at a time. Doreen is the founder of Living Full Life Coaching. She is here today to discuss mental fitness. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. I'm excited to be here. 
Doreen, we hear so much about being mentally fit. What does this mean? What is mental fitness? Great question. Mental fitness is your capacity really to respond to everything that's happening in your life, positive, negative, whatever is going on in your life with a positive versus a negative mindset, with more of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And when we uh, respond in that way, we have uh, noticed that there is an increased positive impact in our relationships. We have more peace of mind. We are coming from a place of wellness where we can perform our best at work and at home and all things are running on all cylinders. You just mentioned a few benefits, but but is there science around this? What does the science say? Yeah, absolutely. So mental fitness is based on research that combines four different components of science. It, It includes positive psychology, neuroscience, performance science, and cognitive behavioral science. And all three of those, all four of those sciences have been um, combined to get to the root cause of our problems. Instead of focusing on the symptoms, we get to the root cause of these problems and create lasting change by really rewiring the pathways of our brain. Your brain is like an operating system and, and like a computer, right, with an operating system. And positive intelligence is the operating system that that we use to build mental muscle. And that system, that operating system, has many, many applications that will create new habits and new patterns in your life. And I think this research is so exciting, Doreen, because I remember years ago we were taught that as you aged or if there was an injury, the brain was damage and and your mental uh, cognition would decrease. And now there's so much research in the field of neuroscience that is showing us that we can continually improve our mental fitness. So I just think that's very exciting. It is super exciting. And research has been um, going through the roof with the neuroscience changes um, that we are discovering through fMRI and all of the studies that have been put together using factor analysis from all of these different uh, professions, we are able to really pinpoint and, and learn how to rewire certain aspects of the brain that can shift you almost immediately to the part of our brain where we perform our best, we feel our best, and we behave our best. And that is super exciting that we can actually, um, you know, it's called neuroplasticity. And I know you all know that because that has been the buzz lately. But we get to rewire our brain and make new pathways that are more efficient, that leave us feeling um, more satisfied. You know, many of us have a lot of success in our lives, but we've achieved that success with a lot of negative emotion and negative uh, behavior patterns. And the thing with positive intelligence is you can be successful and be happy at the same time. Those things can coexist. 
So instead of beating yourself up for things that you've done wrong, you look at look at life and look at opportunities and situations that come up as gifts and opportunities, as as ways to grow, as ways to um, really develop as a human being and connect with others in our sphere of influence. When we talk about fitness, you know, we usually picture ourselves going to the gym and working out. So how do we get mentally fit? What are some tangible ways that we can work out our mental fitness? Yeah, so mental fitness, um, we have these exercises. They're called PQ reps, positive intelligence reps. And what they are are is, is intentional pauses that shift your brain away from the survival center of the brain and into the thrive region of the brain, basically away from fear-based thinking and into uh, love-based thinking that is built on wisdom. Just think of the possibilities of solving problems and and facing the world from a love-based perspective that sees possibilities, that sees um, things as an adventure and exciting versus uh, fear and scarcity, which is what our world is in right now. So there are these little two-minute exercises that we train your brain basically four times a day, minimally, um, for two minutes at a time. Now, everybody's got two minutes to work out your brain, right? This is like going to the gym, but you only have to do it two minutes at a time, four times a day. And what that does is that's been proven scientifically to really build those pathways and start to form new pathways. And, and what we know about neuroplasticity is the more we use a pathway, the easier it is for your brain to switch onto that on-ramp basically and get onto that pathway quickly and efficiently without a lot of energy drain and, and effort in your brain and your emotion. Doreen, how so long does it take for us to create a new pathway? Yeah, so there's, there's lots of controversy over this. Some people say 21 days, but most of the research says it takes a good 66 days to build new pathways and new habits in your brain. Um, so doing these exercises daily not only um, builds the new pathway, but it really impacts your, your peace of mind. People have reported being more present in their life, uh, more attentive and focused in their work, and really just um, more of a sense of happiness with less stress. And it's just amazing how these little tiny exercises that shift us to that thrive region of the brain make a huge difference in your everyday life. And I think, you know, it's important to note that we're a society of immediate gratification. And if we don't see a, a, a major result within a week, we give up on something. But if we're persistent, as you're saying, we'll see tremendous benefit. Yes. And what what's been studied is PQ reps or positive intelligence, mental fitness has been shown to be really as effective as meditation without having to sit there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, right? People that start meditation 
often don't do it long term. These PQ reps can be done anywhere. They can be done in the middle of a meeting, at a patient's bedside. They can be done in the middle of a conversation. When you start to feel yourself losing your center, right? When you start to feel yourself getting stressed, when you start to feel yourself being triggered, you can immediately start to do these PQ reps and shift yourself out of that stress response and into a place of calm, clear, laser-focused attention and decision-making. So, I mean, this whole system, this operating system, is used by Fortune 500 companies and CEOs all over the world. It's been really taking off. And, you know, the founder, of course, is Shirzad Shamin. This is not my development. And I am honored to be one of their certified coaches. Doreen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Doreen and her work and her programs, you can visit livingfulllifecoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Doreen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Doreen Steenland. Doreen, thank you so much. Thank you. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, Each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations, and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So, how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. joining us i hope you found the show informative at change your attitude change your life we believe that knowledge is power take what you've learned apply it and live your best life now 
Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications.